Welcome one and all to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski, Christo Avalis here, and we're going to jump right in it. Uh, this week, we're going to be discussing Pierre Polievre, trying to answer kind of three fundamental questions. You know, what does this boogeyman actually believe in? Is he as terrible as some people would like you to believe? Is he, you know, a consummate politician? Will he pivot? Can he win? Because, you know, as always, we have Christo here to look at all the numbers and try to divine anything through them to see if, it, you know, if these patterns were will out. And I think the really interesting question, how the other parties are going to react to a, I think we can say with confidence, at least overtly and presentation wise, a more staunchly right wing conservative party here in Canada. Then, of course, we got to talk about the NDP here in Ontario. There's someone I think is actually pretty good that could be running, that is, excuse me, running for leadership. So we're going to dive into that. And then some uh, more NDP gossip news, so to speak. So a lot to talk about today. Uh, Christo, I think the the first question, as I, I stated, and an interesting one, is the idea what does Pierre Polyver actually believe in? You know, he he's waffled back and forth on this idea of um, some of the laws and regulations involving vaccines. You know, he he's very publicly uh, disavowed the hateful comments against his own family. You know, the sexist, hateful comments against his wife, while not understanding the irony that he is, you know, shaking the hands oh, of he the same individuals that he do understands it. the <laughs> okay. irony, right? Uh, not showing he, that he understands yeah, yeah, the irony yes, yeah. of these stories. Yeah. So I just he's like, not a what dumb do you think dumb, on that? Right? No, yeah. I mean, look. At some point, it doesn't necessarily matter what he believes. Like, Agreed, if he's yeah. willing. Like, you know, maybe it does and it doesn't in the sense that you're like, okay, is he going to pivot after election? Like, does he become prime minister and then he starts cracking the whip, uh, you know, party discipline, you know, keeping the crazies in line? Like, that's possible, I suppose. I mean, like a Stephen Harper, who mm -hmm. when he was governing, again, he, Harper wasn't a moderate or anything. Like, I'm not trying to, to sanitize the Harper era, but to some degree, it's like he understood that, like, the elements of our party that make it harder for us to win are essential to our victory, but, and, and they're going to always be a significant part of the party membership and, and, and our caucus, like a lot of conservative MPs are going to be believers in anti-choice politics, anti-LGBTQ politics, things like that. But if we let those people like run the house, like we, we, we won't find sustainable victory. And Harper mm -hmm. governed for like, you know, nine years, right? Which is pretty impressive, um, you know? And and I think that there's a chance that maybe if Polyevra is not sincere, then that's like he'll win and then govern like a, like, like a, like a, you know, Bay Street elitist <laughs> conservative, you know, sort of like, you know, kind of relatively mainstream. But if you, and maybe you argue that like, well, you know, uh, he's act he actually does believe these things, and then he's going to govern like a right wing a right wing ideologue, right? Like on not just on on economic issues, but on a lot of these culture war issues. I mean, I I, I think he's more sincere in these beliefs than the recent mm. conservative leaders, maybe. Yeah. And I think that it's telling that he hasn't tried to pivot either mm. during the leadership race or after it, because like you know, when Sheer won. He sort of tried to pivot a little bit. And when O'Toole, you know, he did the same thing. O'Toole was like, you know, he wasn't running as like a hard right conservative, but he sort of ran as like, I'm a real conservative against Peter McKay. And then uh, as soon as that was done, um, you know, kind of tried to make a push towards the middle. Saying that, you know, we, my party, regardless of what our membership says, my party believes in climate change and we're going to have a climate change policy. And, you know, he never... You know, he wasn't anti-vaxxer or anything like that. Under his leadership, the CPC wasn't anti-vax. Um, you know, all of these sorts of things, right? Uh, the one thing you could say about Polyevra is that, like, maybe there's more cause to believe his views were sincere for a couple reasons. One, um, the, the strategy of the last couple guys, which was pivoting towards the center, didn't work. I mean, they yeah. won the popular vote. They did, right? They won the, Conservatives won the popular vote two elections in a row um, in, in, in a more just system. They would have the most seats in Parliament. They might not get to govern because, you know, the NDP and Liberals and Greens could form a coalition. But they they 
they could they they should be they should be the biggest seat in parliament right now and should have been basically for the last three or four years yeah. um, but they're not because of a broken system nonetheless it does show that there is appeal for conservatives at least in terms of the the plurality of people choosing them over any other one party in the last couple elections but you know that that's not a win either a majority or even a minority like there's they can't form a government based on the popular vote and so o'toole and Sheer failed in that regard. The, you know, their job is to form a government. He never had a challenger, like a real one. Yeah. Like you could say like, oh, and like, did he know he did he know he was going to win by this much? Blah, blah, blah. Peter McKay thought he was going to win. And then, you know, gradually over the months he got reeled in and, and O'Toole ended up beating him at the convention and all of this. But like he won with like 65 or almost 70 percent of the vote. Yeah. Um, By far the favorite never was not the favorite was winning in all the metrics like signing up members all the polling the search like google search trends yeah uh, money media co- yeah, huge, me- yeah 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 unearned media and like you know uh paid like paid media and earned media like it just wasn't close and it never was close at all ever ever and like the amount of ridings he won and all of this and all of that like he could have pivoted you know, to 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 set up for the next the federal election, if he felt like okay, well I've won this, yeah, and I need to start looking at winning over those moderate nine hundred five voters, so I'm gonna pivot now, right? Like I've, I've basically won. He didn't do that. He didn't do that during like mm-hmm. he could have started before the leadership because the the game was over. Like it was it was it was GG right? Like it was over, one hundred percent. It was done. Like, there was no way the other people could have seized on that. First of all, Sade was already seen as more moderate than him, and he seemed to be the principal challenger, even though there was no challenger. So, yeah, maybe if you start looking soft on some of the cultural issues, you give Leslie and Lewis a little bit of steam. But, like, it's not enough to catch you, right? Like, you've already won the institutional race. Members are already signed up. You know, like, after the sign-up period, like, no more people could join and, and be a part of the leadership race. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So I think it, it he's probably fairly sincere in these beliefs, I think. Hmm. Um, or at least uh, he doesn't care enough about these beliefs that he's willing to kind of just play ball on. Like maybe he's not like a dyed-in-the-wool ideological anti-vaxxer or anti-mandates yeah. person, but he doesn't really care either way. Uh, but he knows that the people that need to win do care, like he, that he mm-hmm. needs to win do care. And so he's going to play ball, right? Like... You know, it could also be a bit of strategy too. Like he knows that he, he goal his first job is to kill the PPC uh, yeah. and get it really get rid of the PPC as much as is possible to one just get their votes back and maybe discourage them from running candidates and and, and stop spoiling the vote and and that's that's goal one because if you just like hypothetically and it doesn't work like that because there's people that voted for the PPC that might have voted for another party or wouldn't have voted at all if the PPC wasn't an option but hypothetically you give the 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 PPC vote to the conservatives and most of it would go to the conservatives that you know they win a significant amount of more seats I bet you know even even if the the distribution isn't optimal like they mm-hmm. they can they'll, they'll probably pick up more seats in addition to the fact that they'll get activists they'll get volunteers they'll get donors uh the PPC I'm guessing their base is more per, member per member is more active than yeah. the bigger parties right so everything you, that we talked everything you just talked about you know those media buy-ins everything like yeah. that would would absolutely boost up if they had the PPC folded in but it's just it's interesting to think about you know, what that actually means. If, uh, you know, this politician believes earnestly what he's saying or not, because I think everyone listening to my voice has some fundamental understanding that unfortunately in, in 2022, by and large, a lot of politicians, unfortunately, do just blatantly lie or, or don't tell full truths and true. operate differently, right? Yeah. Like, it's just, it's not the means, the ones that don't are the ones that we, you know, almost deify and, and say are, are absolutely yeah. superb. Like, we do, we feel this that. Why so it's a that, shock when, like, a politician keeps a promise, right? Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. with that notwithstanding, the scary thing is, and I want you, with your, your background in this, maybe to correct me, at least... At least in in modern times for the conservative party, can you think of another leader that was more, you know, just 
outwardly right wing in modern times or does he kind of have because I I understand a lot of these ghouls you know perhaps I I believe Sheer believed a lot of the same stuff if not all the same stuff that uh, Polly ever saying but I I do wonder if this is unique in that the stuff he is saying lines up very very concisely with the talking points of the North American alt-right I wouldn't say the necessarily the fascist right even though I do think he's pretty fascist but I do think he finds himself very comfortably in the alt-right kind of techno-fascist wannabe libertarian grouping. So considering that, where do you think he sits in the landscape of uh, Canadian leaders? I mean, in terms of his own party uh, in its modern iteration, yeah, he's clearly the most conservative of the leaders. I mean, you know, in terms of his presentation, like, yeah. you know, Harper, O'Toole, Shear, those are the, the other ones, right? I think maybe you make, uh, the, you could compare him to some of the more right-wing leaders you've seen in Alberta. You know what mm, I mean? Like things yeah, like that. And you might find comparisons between him and some of the leaders of the Alliance and the Reform Parties before the conservative merger in 2003, I believe it was. You might find more comparisons there. I think a good modern comparison, and this this is, and, and it just gets to the fact that it's like, look, Andy and I are not downplaying Polyev's danger nor his mm-hmm. ability to win. But it is worth saying, and like we said, Andy alluded to some, some polls, and I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but yeah. like there's some more polling to confirm it, saying, uh, this, is from, uh, this is from Angus Reid, which tends to be a bit more of a conservative-leaning pollster, although it is not, um, uh, you know, yeah, it, it's, like yeah, part, yeah, no, it's inter- yeah, yeah, well, exactly, it's a respectable <laughs> pollster, but the point yeah. is, what they're saying, actually, is that he is significantly more unpopular than the other leaders were when they were first selected. So oh, in general, more than significantly, yeah, Chris, like yeah. in 16 times, right? Yeah, well, well, I mean, that that's not a fair, the, yeah, with the I know. okay. But like, if you look at general approval, one, uh, Singh, our, our smashingly popular NDP leader, plus one, he's the most popular mm-hmm. leader in Canada. If you wonder how Canadians are feeling, Blanchette's minus four, but that's Quebec only. He's usually minus 20 or 30 if he's pulled nationwide but he doesn't run nationwide. Then Trudeau and Polyev were tied at minus 16. Bernier minus 55. Kuttner, the Greens, uh, minus 20. But if you look here, Polyev, one, he's already tied in disapproval with a with a prime minister that's been there for like seven years, right? Mm-hmm. Almost seven years exactly. We're getting close to the seventh anniversary of, of Justin Trudeau winning. And so you think like people have got, like, gotten lots of opportunities to hate Trudeau. Like, even if they're not ideologically disposed to him, you know, scandals and, and you know, just all that. Prime ministers become more hated in general the longer they're in office, right? Uh, Mm. And he's already the same level of unpopularity as a sitting prime minister. And um, critically, Mm. this is maybe the best one, right? Um, Yeah, I like this one. (laughs) Sheer was plus one when he first became leader. O'Toole minus one, Polyevra minus 16. Right? man. So... Like, that's a good comparison. Like, you know, it's tough for conservatives to have really good positive approval ratings federally because whether, and we've talked about how this is not accurate, there's a perception that, you know, there's, in English Canada, there's three progressive parties and one conservative party. And so all the liberals, NDPs, and Greens tend to hate the conservative leader, right? And so this is often why a liberal leader, when they're when they're popular, can be quite popular. But a effective conservative prime minister might never have that many that high of an approval rating, because yeah. you know they don't they don't need they only need sixty percent of the country can hate their fucking guts and they can govern <laughs> for twenty years, right? And like, also you, why NDP leaders have to be the most beloved leaders in existence to be remotely successful. Yeah, right? well, well, exactly. That's another reason. <laughs> but they also can benefit from the fact that a lot of liberals, uh, whether they're strategic voting liberals or whatnot, can say in an abstract sense that they like Singh or they like. Yeah. Any NDP leader, but would they vote for him? Maybe not necessarily. This is, you know, this is a thing you've sometimes seen as well. But what that shows is that he's starting from a negative. Although it should be said that there's been some really good polls for the conservatives. There was one that I'm going to ignore because it was Main Street that had the NDP at 12, and that's not fun. But that's <laughs> that's very that's very bad. But there there was one poll that just came out again from from. Ang- from Ang- uh, was it from Angus Reid as well? Yeah, I believe it's Angus. If you have, if you're yeah. looking at the one, I think you're looking at. And and this, so that's from that same poll, I believe. No, this is from Legier. 
Uh, that okay. that's Lazier provincially. Yeah, no, this is also Angus Reed. So despite the fact that Polyevra is minus sixteen, right now he's sitting at thirty-seven percent. Liberal thirty, Oof. NDP twenty, Bloc seven, Green three, Conservative uh, PPC four, uh, minus uh, mm. one one percent minus four. Now. Maybe that's an over uh, 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 b- a big blow to the PPC, but what that could very well indicate is that he is killing the PPC, and yeah. so he's actually only risen by pl- by three percent here since the since the uh, since the last election, right? But mm-hmm. and, and 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 that and the PPC is down four, so he might not you know he might have only absorbed you know portions of the PPC, but you can see how it's not too far for him to win a government. This would put him in a clear government position, maybe a majority, it would depend, right? If that holds on election day. Because, you know, you know, 37 to 30, like that's that's tough. That's going to be, yeah. that's, that's, that's a big gap. And, you know, you start to precipitously lose seats as the liberals, especially when you start, you know, falling toward 30 and the conservatives are as high as they are. This is not the liberals at 30... And the conservatives at 31, 32, or whatever, uh, you know, there's a lot of tipping point seats that get that get added into the mix, right? So this is a mixture. Polyever, in many ways, might be the most hated of the of the three mm. recent conservative leaders, but he might be the most beloved by conservatives themselves. And <laughs> like, look in Canadian history, you know, the lib since really since the end of World War One. The Liberal Party has been the natural governing party of Canada, right? But yeah. every once in a while, Canadians throw out the bums, <laughs> and 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 sometimes you end up with a moderate prime minister when you throw out the bums, like a you know and a conservative, and sometimes you end up with somebody more right wing. It's like and it's like it it could be based on the quality of their campaign or the lack of quality mm-hmm. from the Liberal campaign. But you know, like the Liberals governed from 1935 to 1950 like seven uninterrupted mm. <laughs> like eventually a conservative was going to win right like eventually yeah. it was going to happen right and by 1963 they were back in power again till 1979 but eventually a conservative is going to win do you, do you know what i mean and then after yeah, Moria, no, just, yeah. and so it's really it, interesting it could be polyevra's turn right it could yeah be it his... is polyevra's turn but I, I was wondering if maybe some of those more extreme beliefs would preclude him from the phenomenon that we've talked about here on the show and, you know, not to besmirch the area that I grew up in, but, you know, the 905ers, the suburban areas, just kind of flip-flopping back and forth between liberal and conservative, you know, based on their own internal sense of morality, maybe. Just like you said, you know, they've had, they've been, the bums have been in there too long, that sort of ideal. Yeah. I was th- wondering if maybe, you know, just because of how extreme, because Polyever is the most extreme modern conservative leader a federal conservative leader we've had here in Canada, that that flip-flop wouldn't have been so easy. From what you're saying here, maybe the conservatives have already done a lot of that arithmetic and found that if they can eat up enough of the uh, the PPC, they don't need that percentage of flip-floppers to still hit that mark. Like, are we, do you think that we are just so divided already in the electorate? It's already his turn that even if there aren't enough of those flip-floppers willing to give him a chance, there's definitely enough PPCers that want to be a part of the winning coalition. I mean, I, I think that it's possible, right? I think it's okay. possible that he could, he could still win regardless. And I, I, but I do agree with you that, it probably makes it harder, all things being equal. Do you know what I mean? Harder for what? Harder for him to win, all things being equal. Okay. So I get what right. you're so, saying, which yeah. is like, like yes, the longer a government's in power, the more likely it is to fail. And in what we have is not a two-party system, but a system where only two parties federally have ever gotten to govern. That like either like whatever the conservatives have been called at the time, the conservative party and the liberal party, those are the only two parties that have gotten to govern federally. Right. And except for mm-hmm. one election, they've always finished first and second, basically. Right. You know what I mean? The, I guess the block finished second in 93 or whatever it was. But that's a fluke. Whatever. Yeah, we're with you. We're with you. But you know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. reality is like eventually the liberals are going to lose, but it doesn't help. I think the conservatives to have somebody that's more antagonistic. One example, and I, and I don't know if we've talked about this on the pod, 
but I've definitely mentioned it on social media. I think a good recent comparator to Pierre Paul Lievre in some ways is Tim Hudak. Now Ooh, you, yeah, we did mention yeah. this before. Okay, yeah. So I just mm-hmm. briefly recap it. Remember, everyone thought, you know, Tim Hudak's this young guy. The liberals are tired. They'd been in power, I think, at that point for uh, a good chunk of time. Mulroot or uh, um, God, McGinty left in mm-hmm. scandal. Um <laughs> Got replaced by Kathleen Wynne, who was, you know, a pioneer in some ways. She was going to be like the first woman, the first gay woman. Like there was that, but like she was seen as like part of his team. So it wasn't necessarily seen as like, okay, like with Justin Trudeau having no real connection to like the Martin Chrétien years, right? Like, like Mm -hmm. you couldn't argue this was like a new, fresh Ontario Liberal Party with Kathleen Wynne because she was already a mover and shaker within the previous government. Nonetheless, Tim Hudak's openly ideologically right-wing approach, <laughs> like, fucked them, right? Oh, would, dude, I actually got a story about that one. Right? It was like, That happened right when I was working yeah. in uh, Toronto Radio, and he came on the terrible radio station that I was working on. And, you know, it's very right wing. It's, I think, where I learned a lot of this ideology that I currently have. And he went on air to explain very passionately the crisis that was happening with people going to grocery stores and uh, using not using the income that they got through federal uh, Ontario assistance on actual groceries and instead they were using it on the LCBOs that were attached to the grocery stores and how we can't actually give Ontario-based assistance to those in need and there needs to be vouchers that are only for food. Yeah, he wanted the, that was an important plank, you know? Yeah, he wanted to do like an American like yeah. food stamp type thing because some places they have food stamp. Yeah, I mean, and I remember that. And the big one, the big one, and there was that, but the big one was like he was going to fire, he proudly oh, said school, he was going to yeah. fire public servants and Doing yeah. the kind of like we're going to give them pink slips and running shoes or whatever, that kind of Mulrooney kind of conservative thing. And it worked for Mulrooney, I guess, but it didn't work for him. And labor organized like never before. And, and, and you know, the liberals ended up winning. They ended up winning despite the fact that they weren't very popular. Um, and, and they got an, another shot. And not only did they win, they, they won a majority that they didn't have going into that election. Mm-hmm. Right? So you're right in the sense that you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Polly Evra blows it. Maybe it would be, would have been the case that if Polly Evra was the leader last time that Trudeau ends up winning a majority and not just a, a minority because, uh, you know, he's so unpopular, uh, who knows? But I think that in many ways, the, the, the real model to win for conservatives is Doug Ford. He's the model, yeah. man. He's a good politician. <laughs> He's a good politician. Oh, yeah, I know people, but look, man, he's like, he's a fucking, like, just lie. Just fucking lie <laughs> if you're a conservative. Lie if you're a liberal, too. But the liberals, yeah. you got to lie to the left and then sort of not, they, and not do what you're going to say. Lie and give people money. Yeah, conservatives, like is, well, cons- yeah. liberals have to lie about, about promising things and not doing them. Conservatives mm-hmm. have to promise not to do things and then do them. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's right, the that's thing. That's a good one. Right? That's a good and one. And so yeah. Doug Ford was like, yeah, we're not going to lay off any people. Then they laid off people. We're not going to touch the green belt. And they, I don't know if they had, like, I don't even know if they ended up, they, but then they were planning to touch the green belt. We've talked about this. The basic yeah. income pilot, all of that shit. I think there is a chance that because he's so openly ideologically right wing, he is going to make it unpalatable for a lot of people to vote conservative versus the fact that like Doug Ford lied to people, clearly broke a lot of his promises, and then they still yeah. reelected him. So Yeah, no, it's it's so cool I think the model for, is yeah, Doug Ford. Is Doug Ford. So I think I, I think I agree with you there. And maybe and maybe that was what O'Toole was trying to do. Like, you know, run as not even a moderate, but in some ways run like an ideologically unmoored campaign. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, put on his work, his, his take off his dress shoes and put yeah. on his runners and see how he's a working like man, Ford right? didn't run an ideologically right wing campaign. Yeah, it wasn't like on the left. He's like tax cuts this and we. Well, uh, you, Crystal, that's what I want to touch on here, because I think the interesting caveat of this entire thought experiment that we have here is that uh, Polyevra's right-wing approach is so just drenched in culture war shit. Yeah. It is, it, it's very, you know, alt-right. Like, it, it does follow that where I would say Doug Ford believes in maybe even far worse fascist ideologies. Who knows? They both believe in fascist things. But he does not present himself as much of... No. 
I would say a culture warrior for the right wing. At least not in the last election. There was a bit of that in the last, the first time he ran, I think with like sex ed, sex ed reform. And there was that, that was kind of allowed people to get like a little bit homophobic, more than a little bit, and a little bit like transphobic and all that. Say, oh, the teachers are indoctrinating our kids into like having sex at three or whatever, you know, these sorts of things. Right. Um, But you're right. Like go back to the last provincial election and like, Ford didn't run it on a culture issue. Really, I don't think. Did and he? I think Paul Ever is like yeah, hard he is. right now. He is. So. He is. He's yeah, he's 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 doing it a lot of things, right? Like he to a certain degree to he's talking a lot about inflation. Like so he does mm. kind of have that. But yeah, a lot of it's on culture war stuff. A lot of it's on like ending the mandates and and all of that. And 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 you know, maybe it's a difference between running um, you know, as an incumbent versus running as like a challenger. And there are different, there are different incentives and there are different strategies, but I do think there's a risk there. Now, again, that doesn't mean like we can just chill and like, he's going to lose, right? I don't, I'm not, we're not (laughs) saying that, but it is to say that in terms of what's worked in central Canada for conservatives, he's trying something that hasn't been tried since Hudak and it didn't Mm -hmm. work for Hudak. Man, I do think when we get to the debates and we get closer to, you know, an actual election, when this campaign really does start, he will just start about absolutely lying, like avowed lies. I think you're probably right that there will be some and some of it's just going to be kind of like lying. But some of it's going to be like, look, Trudeau's already just listening to the convoyers on on COVID, like canceling (laughs) science based (laughs) policy and all that. Like the reality is, is that like if we're not masking up anymore. And if mm-hmm. there's no mandates and if we don't have like another wave of COVID 20 or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. if we don't have another uh, pandemic in, you know, in 2024, 2025, you know, as the next election ramps up, ramps up, then Polyevra probably won't have to make vaccines an issue because they won't be a salient issue yeah. and therefore won't even need to disavow what he said before but it'll just be like, we'll be talking about something else. We'll be talking about some other BS, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I think, but, but you are right. I do think he'll probably try to pivot at some point. Um, but I don't know. It, it's always a question of how how hard does he pivot? Because I don't know if he's going to pivot as hard to the center as some other recent conservatives. Because again, they started doing it right away in some cases during their leadership race. And he has not done mm-hmm. that. Like he hasn't done that. And and the, the thought is, after all this, is that if he does not do that, the numbers just won't suss out for him to possibly win unless there is, you know, well, I don't know. There's just right? not enough people. Well, yeah. maybe. Right. We don't know. I mean, maybe, like, though, you, because like, you look at that poll by Angus Reed and that's just one mm-hmm. poll to be fair. But like if you look at that poll, if you look at the 338 average or whatever, Like maybe there is because like what you said is it's hypothetically possible. Now I think it lowers his chances of victory. Right. But like, you know, it, it lowers his chances of victory, but I think that he, he, maybe he says to himself, look, um, people are sick and tired of Justin Trudeau. Um, the the PPC, I can get most of the, if not the vast majority of current PPC voters. And that's what I need. You know, if, if I can get to 37, you know, I can win, right? You know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. like, right now the polling projections, and this is, I, I don't think it added that most recent one. This is from 338 from a day or two ago. We're recording this on the 27th. This is from the 25th. This shows that the conservatives and liberals are effectively still tied in seats. But that's with a polling yeah. average of the conservatives being up by, like, three on the liberals, uh, being up, uh, or, or two and a half on the liberals, not them being up, you know, seven, right? Mm, this would put yeah. the conservatives at 140 and the liberals at 138. So if the if the conservatives gain like another four points and the liberals drop another point and a half, you could imagine them one obviously winning government, but but yeah. but, but starting to get close to a majority as well. All right. So I guess the final question, just before we move on, yeah, is if this trajectory holds, if he doesn't do a complete pivot and just says, you know, I never said that and becomes more traditional conservative leaders that we've seen in the past. How do we think the different leaders will react? You know, firstly, is it going to be Justin Trudeau or is it, you know, going to be Chrystia Freeland? I, you know, that either way, I don't think that really matters as much. I, I do wonder if he... If Pierre Polyevra does really stick it hard 
to this uh, right wing ideology that he has that we will never see as much hatred towards the NDP from the Liberal Party than we ever have before, because it will be the most you need to strategically vote or it's the end of the world election we may have ever had, you know, in our lifetime. If it's that. So that's my I'm just, you know, fooling around with that idea. I mean, you're going to see. What do you think will happen? Yeah, maybe. Right. I mean, I think you could also make the argument that, you know, Justin Trudeau said just a a couple years ago that. You know, we want to keep first past the post because it prevents having Kelly Leach having her own party. If you remember, he said that. And yeah. you now you have Polly Evera, who I, I mean, I don't know. Like I, I'd have to go back and look at Kelly Leach's platform. But they're certainly both very right wing compared to, say, what O'Toole was offering. Um, and so I definitely, you know, think that, you know, I'm just going to keep saying what I'm saying, that like if, if Trudeau actually wanted to stop O'Toole or uh, Sheer, yeah. he would he would he would get together and pass proportional representation. I'm just going to shrug that off right now. But like, yeah, I definitely <laughs> think like the like the liberals are going to lean hard into the culture war differences. Uh, and I think the NDP is already kind of started by doing a couple things. One, also talking about those cultural issues because they are important. Yeah. You know, if he's attacking certain minorities, if he's attacking um you know, certain communities or his uh, or his surrogates are or what have you, you need to stand up against that. But also you need to attack him on his disingenuous support for working people uh, because mm-hmm. it's not even like Trudeau. Like Trudeau could at least hypothetically po- point to certain votes on certain issues, you know, and, and say, oh, you know, we, the union's this and we, we supported that. Like Paul Evers got no record that anywhere indicates him as a supporter of working people, whether it's unions or whether it's, uh, low wage earners or whether it's, you know, blue collar yeah. folks or anything of the sort. And I think that's what you're going to see is like a big response to to that. Like, you know, you've already started to see it from both liberals and the NDP. It's like, why are they not going to support the 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 new dental policy? Like, why are they not supporting yeah. that? You know, we could, we've talked about how it's good, but it needs a lot of work. But the point is, is if it's up for a vote, you know, like any reasonable party should vote for it. Right. Like if it's mm-hmm. what's offered uh, and they're not voting for it. Like that has to be used against him. Why are you denying dental care to children? You talk about fighting for the little guy, fighting for the outsider, fighting for the working person. But what about the working person whose kids can't get dental care? And, you know, when the policy goes broader, what about, you know, all the the people who, you know, don't make a good income? What about them and their teeth? Right. Like you're saying you're fighting for the working people. But like, you know, uh, uh, what are you doing for dental care? Like, what are you yeah. doing? What What's are you your, yeah, doing? Exactly. And so I, I don't know, well. right? I mean, that's what I think you're going to see. You're going to see some of these approaches. But it's, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that's that's definitely what it's going to be. I think O'Toole, or he's just going to run on, you know, on cost of living. He's going to run mm. on, uh, you know, uh, housing. He's going to run on, uh, you know, I, I'm the I'm an outsider. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, I, I think that's, that's his approach. Again, it's disingenuous, but you know he is running against a very long time uh, liberal prime minister, and so that might help him in that regard. And one thing he'll probably do is he'll probably attack the NDP for being uh, in a, a a deal with the liberals, uh, mm-hmm. which I think he'll see as an opportunity to sort of say that if there's discontent with the status quo, that it that the NDP should not be the beneficiary of that because they upheld the status quo, and that is a risk mm-hmm. for the NDP. To be fair. But I think that's one of the one of the things he'll do. I don't know. Do we think that, uh, Crystal? Do yeah. we think that if you know he does tack this way, that we could finally see a more full throated, out loud and proud, you know, left wing NDP? You know, they unleash perhaps a left wing sing if this is the opponent. If we know that. Justin Trudeau can't like he's just not going to it's not part of his ideology personally doesn't believe in it the liberal party doesn't believe in it you know the voters do but he he won't could we finally see that happen in this circumstance maybe more so than we ever have before because it just I, I wonder if it just now would be the time for that to happen to have a major party actually presenting the sort of policies that are not just completely drenched in neoliberal bullshit to get anything that you need when your alternative is, you know, Pierre Polyevre, who we, I think we can recognize would be a very dangerous 
uh, prime minister if he stays on the same track that he is now. So I, what do you think about that? Do you think that's possible or am I just, you know, being wistful in the wind here on this idea? I mean, I don't know if that'll cause the NDP to go more left wing. I mean, in no. some ways you've seen it in, in, in certain places, like they've become better on, say, Palestine. We might talk a bit about that later. But yeah. like, I mean, I think that it, it might depend. I mean, does 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 Trudeau tack to the center to sort of try and cut down on on Polyevra to try to win back some of those economic moderates? Um, I don't know, maybe. Uh, and, and, and maybe that opens up more space on the left. I'm not sure. Uh, it, it's too early to say. I don't yeah. think that you're going to see a noticeable shift on the NDP in terms of uh, their left-right spectrum policy. Um Damn. Based simply on this, I mean, it might happen, yeah. but I don't think the defining factor will be Polyevra. Okay, I just I don't I don't see that. Right, I just don't see that. Right. Alrighty. So I think yeah, hopefully we've answered uh, the three questions in our our jumbled about way. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer here on the show, go to Patreon.com/slash Left Turn Canada. Just a buck a buck a month, you can join our Discord and pose a question. We got uh, a whole bunch of them this week but before we get into that i want to do uh, a little a little reading for you from of course a beloved national newspaper the toronto sun that had an opinion column uh within this week that is uh, entitled the ndp's middle east policy is to blame israel entirely so this is not from, you know, one of the opinion columnists that they have. This is a member of an organization that paid. This is how this works from the Toronto Sun and other major uh, institutions. They pay a lot of money and then they're able to present their ideologies. And I just want to read one paragraph. I'm not going to read it all because it's it's really rough. But uh, yeah, so here here it goes. Last June, university students and members of the Jewish Federation of Edmonton who felt unsafe met with Heather McPherson, Edmonton MP and federal NDP critic for foreign affairs, to discuss McPherson's one-sided stance on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which glosses over Palestinian wrongdoings and blames Israel entirely. So already gross. Uh, we hope she would hear the perspective of the Jewish community that the issue is complex. We hope she would move closer to the longstanding federal NDP position that both sides carry responsibility. We hoped she would understand how her words make Jewish Albertans feel unsafe in their communities and not full people in their Jewish identities. But she lied. So this is, again, a, a, a framework that we've seen time and time again when mentioning the Palestinian genocide of trying to invoke victimhood for any person who believes in the uh, rights of Israel to completely destroy and consume another people. So this went out and it's just an entire hit piece. And, you know, there's a reaction. There really was NDP MPs and MPPs spoke out and said, like, you know, this is bullshit. You know, we have a great tweet here from Matthew Green that said the world is awakening to the harsh realities of the brutal Israeli occupation of Palestinian territories. If, and this is the organization that uh, actually wrote this, the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs, uh, yeah, in Canada, uh, thinks running a smear campaign in the Toronto Sun against us will cause us to turn a blind eye to the apartheid regime in Israel. They are sorely mistaken. So a lot of other, you know, great words saying this is not going to change the ideology. But it is interesting to see where the lines are being drawn here and how, like you alluded to earlier, the NDP has kind of changed their rhetoric on this position, has has gotten much better in, in the words that are being used. I think maybe just generally most people are getting better when understanding, you know, how this genocide needs to be discussed, how this occupation needs to be discussed. You know, I can even remember us changing our, our lexicon here to better reflect it, but I'm wondering what you think about the fact that it's just so bold facing in the Toronto Sun, which, by the way, if you go on their website, it is horrific to read. I know like media is in a hard straight and you need to put in ads everywhere, but you can barely even read this article. There are so many fucking ads. Uh, so the fact that that was presented 
so seamlessly, how there is such a just one-to-one relationship between presenting something in a newspaper and having the money to do so, and then also the NDP's response to this attack. Uh, what do you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they, maybe they paid for it, but you'd think like the Sun would always run a, a piece criticizing the NDP, right? Like, you know what I mean? There was a tweet from Adrian Batra that kind of, the the um, editor, chief and editor, uh, editor-in-chief, excuse me, that did confirm that it was oh, wow. a paid opinion oh, Okay, so that's that interesting, was, yeah. I mean, look, yeah. look, the, the reality is like the NDP's position still isn't good enough. And like activists Absolutely. will say that, and we've talked about this. We have we've had guests on um, the the people that specifically organized the excuse me the motion at the recent NDP convention it was one of our relatively early episodes where we had people talking about how this has been a years long fight to get the NDP policy to not be utter shit. For being honest, yeah. on Palestine, let alone good, right? We're not there yet, but it's the best policy from the main federal parties, and as such like the party gets hammered on it because the liberals and conservatives have terrible uh, policies yeah. on Palestinians. Um, and, and you know, uh, the reality is that Singh is acknowledging the humanity of Palestinians. He's asking that Canada understand the fact that even if there is violence coming from both sides, the unbelievably distinct levels of power put the overwhelming responsibility on Israel. Uh, that even if you factor all that in, uh, it is Israel controlling and destroying the lives of Palestinians and not the other way around. That the, the yeah. insofar as there is apartheid somewhere in the world today, it is in Palestine. And you've had mm-hmm. people suggest that, including leftists from South Africa, make that very clear. Um, that this that this is there is a legacy of apartheid in here. It's not the same. Frankly, in some ways, it's probably not as bad. But in some ways, it might be worse. Right? It's it's a it's a terrible system. You now have like automatic guns. I don't know if you saw that. The fucking Black yeah. Mirror. Like some of the checkpoints have yeah. robotic guns that will will shoot to kill people even without there being a human to take the shot. Um, you know, it, it's we're entering a new dystopia, or we're not entering it. I mean, maybe we will, but. Palestinians are are living a dystopian nightmare and and the NDP is simply saying that Canada needs to uh, to better interrogate its relationship with this apartheid state and do some basic yeah. things like you recognize the illegality of the settlements and to 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 do things like that um to you know ask for more reports and more uh, understanding about journalists being killed you know, to, to, to interrogate with these sorts of things. And, uh, I definitely think that this is good to see. And I think you're not to cut ties with Israel either. No, Even the it, NDP is, and they're not that. calling for full divestment and sanctions. I believe the NDP's yeah. party policy was to limit it to, um, the illegal settlements, right. You know, that, that they mm-hmm. do not currently as of yet support any, any policy that would, that would just, you know, ban all, all business, and diplomatic and, and, and all those sorts of ties with Israel. But uh, they are the only major party calling for uh, th- this this work uh, to be done. And they're getting a lot of heat for it. And I think one thing that's been really good to see is a lot of groups that have been critical of the NDP in the past. Very critical. Like Canadians for Justice yeah. and Peace in the Middle East, independent Jewish voices, who have said, you know, the NDP's policy isn't that much better than the Liberals or Conservatives, except now that it is, and they're speaking out about it, you know, there's been a, an acknowledgement, right? Like um, like Michael uh, uh, Buchert from the uh, uh, CJPME, uh, and uh, you, uh, he's somebody I've known for many years, uh, at least, uh, you know, in social media, and he says, once again, every aspect of the NDP's policy reflects international law and what human group rights groups are saying. You know, the, the, you know, the, 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 the he, and he's citing mm. that Ontario, that Toronto Sun piece uh, is, is uh, here is explicitly and deliberately conflating this policy with anti-Semitism, saying that criticizing Israeli actions is an attack on Jewish Albertans. And it's despicable, yeah. right? That's basically what's happening. And right making now. them scared, too. Isn't that interesting yeah. that this most modest, just not saying yeah. that, you know, it's both sides yeah. makes these uh, members of their community scared and feel unsafe, you know? 
now. People that are using that sort of language, which is necessary because like how many times on the show did we mention the trans activist Keffels that needed to go all around the world to hide from actual people trying to kill her all the time. And that language is being co-opted by groups that I would argue this policy, there's no way, and I think that's fair to say, would make someone who is of Jewish faith feel unsafe in Alberta. No, like, it's just insane, no, kind it's, of, it's, really. It's part of this new move to 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 take what is a real and indeed growing threat of anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is on the rise. Yeah. It is not a relic. It is not something on decline. Anti-Semitism is rising along with other forms of hatred. It is, 100%. But that anti-Semitism is 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 being sort of corralled into certain statements that make criticism of Israel. Uh, they'll say it's it's double standard based criticism of Israel, so their defense. But in effect, it's any criticism of Israel is anti-Semitism. Right? It will be their argument. Yeah. When in reality, what you're seeing is anti-Semitism is overwhelmingly coming from the right. And what's become very clear is that the defenders of Israel don't give a fuck about anti-Semitism. By and large, the right-wing supporters (laughs) of Israel give zero fucks about anti-Semitism. They give a thought, they they give fucks about the apartheid state of Israel. Now, some of them care about anti-Semitism too, but when they're given the choice between a a world in which anti-Semitism is eradicated and Israel is held to account for their apartheid actions, or a rampantly anti-Semitic world where Israel is safe, like as 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 a state body, they'll choose the latter Every fucking single time. There's two big examples. One, all of these conservative types who were excusing and in some cases celebrating the convoy when one of the convoy leaders, remember yeah. Pat King? Remember Pat King? Yeah, of course. When he, he said, you know, if we don't start fighting back now, we're going to lose our country. And he specifically said, you're going to be speaking Chinese. And he, you know, made like a fake Chinese name, you know, with the, the fake Chinese kind of speak, right? I'm not going to, I'm not going to imitate it because mm-hmm. I don't want to replicate his racism. But you know, the, <laughs> the sounds you make when you want to pretend you're Chinese to offend uh, all Asian people, really. But then he also said, oh, you'll be speaking Chinese or Hebrew. And he did this weird look. <laughs> Like he was knows he wasn't supposed to say it, but he's going to say it anyway. Like, like, mm-hmm. so he's, he's spreading like, you know, a George Soros type conspiracy, right? That like, <laughs> if we don't fight back the Jews or the Chinese or the, the Chinese Jews, there are, there are some, they're, they're going to get us, right? They're going to get us. Um, and we got to fight back against the Jews and the Chinese and the Arabs and all, and all of that. Like just any boogeyman group and the Jews were among them. Right. And. There was more anti-Semitism in that convoy than there's ever been in the NDP. Another big one comes from yeah, the states, but I, you, you've seen some of this. You'll see this in Canada as well, where you know all of the the IPAC, the the the, the right-wing Jewish body, the, endorsed candidates, endorsed a lot of them for mm-hmm. upcoming uh, House and Senate races, and they and they actually endorse bipartisan. They're 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 right-wing, but they but they support. Democrats, if their positions on Israel are, are, are the same as theirs. And a lot of people, including some of their members and including large parts of the Jewish community, were like, why are you endorsing Trumpian Republicans? We understand that their position on Israel might match yours, but they support white supremacy. They support anti-Semitism. They support, you know, they're anti-democratic. You always brag about Israel being the quote unquote only democracy in the Middle East. And you're ba- backing candidates that are anti-democratic. And they basically said, we don't care. All we care about is Israel. <laughs> if your policy on Israel is good, we care about nothing else. We don't care about abortion. We don't care about anti-Semitism at home. Israel or nothing. And that's what these sorts of things are mm-hmm. showing. That's what they're showing. Yeah, it's, you could just, and even more plainly, you could just look at if we have institutions that are protecting Israel that have such resources, that have such grasp, that have such access that they can do this and there isn't even something one-tenth, one-one-hundredth for Palestinian advocacy within North America, then just on its face, even if you didn't consider any of that, like clearly this is not know a both sides sort of thing that are having access and uh, if you're if you care a lot about knowing the truth then it's you should just look at the fact that there were all this money and institutions behind trying to make it absolutely untenable to say what the NDP is saying here in Canada 
maybe that would you know suggest that the tides aren't exactly equal on this one so it's it's always horrifying when we talk yeah. about it but uh hopefully it's good to see and like these are just swings no, by the see. right wing again like it's just an effective way to attack the left they did it to corbin yeah. You know, and, and, you know, if anybody was anti-Semitic and that like, like Boris Johnson had way more anti-Semitic things oh, he course. actually did or believed in or associated with than, 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 than Jeremy Corbyn ever did. But that didn't matter because all that mattered was what is your position on Israel, Palestine? And if your position is too pro-Palestinian, then, then you're, then you're an anti-Semite. Right. And that'll be weaponized yeah, the, against. L- you. Let's put it this way. In, in Canada, Pierre Polyevra is absolutely more anti-Semitic than. Joe like, I don't know. Well, like, yeah. And I don't question. even know if Polly. I, I, I don't know what kind of mistakes um, is uh, that he's made. I don't know what statements Polyevra has made in that regard. Right. But it doesn't even yeah. matter. It's just guaranteed that it'll <laughs> like, be. Like, less, I don't know. Right. right? Like, I, like, I actually haven't studied that, but I, I can guarantee you that the practical right. effects of conservative ideology and who they're associating with, at least we could say that who yeah, he's associating that's what I, with that's what are definitely at, yeah. going to have more anti-Semitic views. I mean, you've seen some of this with like conservatives on both sides of the border where they've increasingly cozied up to elements of the far right who are animated at least in part by anti-Semitism, right? It's not necessarily their overwhelming ideology. And some of these people, um, just because of the, the, the new, like that anti-Semitism isn't cool anymore, maybe aren't anti-Semitic. They're just <laughs> anti-Arab or what have you, but like the, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Anyways, let's move on to the new leadership or a a hopeful new leader here for on the Ontario NDP. We were discussing who will jump into the shoes of Andrea Horvath. And we have a contender, Merritt Stiles, who we talked about a lot on the show, is running for the Ontario NDP leadership. Uh, She's the Davenport uh, TO MPP. And you've been following this a little closer than I. Do you think that she will be the one that gives us the socialist utopia here in Ontario? I mean, I don't know, right? I mean, I first of all, oh, not just an outright well, I mean, no. Like, okay, look, all I, right. I mean, like, look, no, like the NDP winning, even even with a Joel yeah, Harden doesn't know, happen. Know. Who knows, right? I mean, like, look, Joel, and we know Joel Harden's not running. I I think that Merritt Styles is going to be a very good candidate. I don't think she'll be the only one running, although this is the the least surprising run that I've seen. Yeah. Right? Um yeah, no no, absolutely. Um but you know the the reality is that she how do I put this? Like this is the least <laughs> surprising person to run cuz everyone predicted it, but I'm not necessarily convinced in the trajectory that I've been hearing. Now, one thing I've heard is that because she was like one of the highest profile names, she's coming out quick, you know, that she might end up being the quote unquote establishment candidate. And that may well be the case, right? It may well be the case that she's going to be like, if the party wants something of a continuation from Andrea, maybe not a one-to-one, but something of a continuation, she would be that person. But I'm not a hundred percent convinced that it's that she's going to just be like I'm Andrea 2.0, um, and she might mm-hmm. meaningfully try to make differences on both style and policy. And she got some kind words from people like Jill Andrews, uh, Jill Andrew when she uh, when she announced. And Jill is seen as somebody who's maybe on the more the more pro-activist and pro-left part of the caucus. And you'd think that if she was going to be like you know a super establishment type, she might not get that that kind of shout out, right? Uh, and so. I think it'll be interesting. I think that she may well end up being the establishment pick, and I don't think she's going to end up running what you would call the most left-wing of the campaigns. Someone might challenge her from the left on policies and maybe on the grassroots on on organizing. But I don't necessarily think... Do you have anyone, any idea of who that might be, of who would be like an actual legitimate, you know, left-wing... I mean, I don't know uh, at this stage. I mean, a lot of people were thinking it was going to be Joel, but... I don't know, right? I mean, it could be someone like yeah, a Jill Andrews. It could that, yeah. be, uh, it could be, uh, you know, God, I don't know right now, right? That's the thing. I think a lot of the people that are going to be running might be more on the quote-unquote moderate side, right? Hmm. 
Yeah, well, that's that's the bit of the concern, right? Because we've talked about Ontario politics here, like the, the path for the NDP for leadership is a tough one right now with the the current, uh, you know, framework of what's going on here. You know, Doug Ford has his grasp on this province in a big, big way. We talked about at the beginning of the show, you know, his framework is possibly one of the most winningest conservative frameworks in this country. You know, he he's he's caught on to something. It's taken him a long time to get there. I can still remember in Toronto when he was booed any time he would speak. But now he's he's found, he's still booed. But there's enough people that aren't that he's he's found his rhythm. I don't know who the name would be that could even help us build a more left wing NDP, especially with some uh, reports and even some uh, some of the questions from our our fans here in uh, Discord were mentioning a lot of insider gossip, so to speak, suggesting that there are some, uh, let's just say, institutional individuals that have been a part of the NDP party that yeah, you are did it again. making it you, you very, it very difficult. Oh, I did it again. Yeah, NDP yeah, party. Yeah, Damn. Yeah, I, I, All right. Well, you know what I'm trying to say here? They're, they don't want they don't want a left wing leader. So that might be even more difficult. What's uh, what's your take on that without citing any, you know, specifics here that maybe, you know, there are some people that have just, you know, are, are holdovers from the Andrew Horvath years that don't necessarily want. Uh, yeah, that that left wing utopia that we uh, dream of. Here. I mean, maybe, but like, I don't know how much power they would have. Right. Like, I mean, I think like, yeah, I mean, like, the- look some key endorsements are going to be big who can quickly get some of the big unions to endorse them and back them who can get support from caucus like you know people respect those those voices right and like who they back you know i don't know if like the actual institutional like you know people in the party are going to have that much of a say but they can maybe pull like i don't know I don't know, but yeah. I, I, I do think I, 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 yeah, I don't think like the back rumors are going to be the ones yeah. that are like that decide the next leader. I don't think that's the case. Okay. What I do think is that there might be, you know, that kind of push to like have another establishment type. But I think you're going to see on ideological grounds and on organizational grounds, this be fought because there's going to be two questions and, and, and I think the answer is we need to be more progressive, quote unquote, on both, which is that what were the policy failures of the last election? Like, right. And among those, you could mm-hmm. talk about um, you could talk about the the uh, the disability, uh, the ODSP payments and how that was. We, we the party had yeah. to be bullied <laughs> into it through the, the early part of the campaign and, and things like that, where we where we didn't excite people with our policy. That's certainly part of it. But you might say that in this election. The policy wasn't abysmal. There's good policies. Uh, and so it's like, it's more about organizing, organizing. So what are you going to do mm-hmm. from an organizational perspective? And, and, you know, I think in that sense, there's a lot to discuss. I'm not, I'm not sold on the fact that Merritt Styles is going to be like the right wing type NDP candidate or that she's going to be the establishment type. She might end up being that, but we really need to see more in terms of what she actually does through a campaign. And, and critically, like who, uh, who runs against her? Like, you know, other the there no one else has announced yet, right? And she came out yeah. and you know, last week, right? And no one has come out since. And so at this point, we're not sure, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, she has, you know, some uh some people behind her from uh you know from from caucus, like Kristen Wong Tam was at her thing. Like she looked and I don't know if these people are being counted as endorsements or not. Like I don't wanna I don't wanna say uh, that she's gotten any endorsements yet. We can check our website, but you know, I don't want to count somebody attending her meeting as an endorsement, but um, mm-hmm. we could, we could see uh, at that point, but I, I she's coming out quick. Um, and I think what she'll need to do to inspire people is one, I think recognize this, um, that, that the, the party's policies need to be bolder. And she'll also need to recognize that the grassroots was largely left out of a lot of these discussions and that hurt the party. If she understands that and is able to communicate that and does so de- genuinely, then I think that she can win the leadership, obviously, but can actually be effective. Uh, one of the things I'll say about her is that like, I've spoken with her on a, on a personal basis, and she's always mm-hmm. been willing to... Uh, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here. She's always been willing 
to listen to my criticisms of the party. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe we'll have her on the show, you know, really get you guys a chance. Oh, to yeah, I definitely want to get I, I, Mary. Yeah. I think she she does listen at least sometimes, but we'll, I'll, I'll, we'll definitely Ooh, reach nice. out. But, Mary, but we're going to reach out. Yeah. And actually, I think what we'll do is if we'll probably do our best to reach out to every person that ends up uh, running for the ONDP yeah. leadership and, and just have them on to talk about their campaign, uh, ask them questions, ask them tough questions as well. Uh, but but really just get a sense for what their plans are. But I, I, one thing I will say is that she was always, she has always been uh, very, um, very e eager and willing to um, have discourse with me uh, when I've sent her criticism mm -hmm. of party policy. She's responded. Uh, when I've sent her criticisms of, 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 of the election thing, she responded. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think in that sense, that's a good sign. That, that's a good sign. Yeah, and no, one thing I'll also say is that she was one of the more effective critics, I think, in the last in the last parliament. Uh, she was on the education profile on the uh, file and she did a fantastic job, I think. And I think that that bodes well. We uh, you know, a critic is not a leader. They're different. They're different jobs. But it shows that she's uh, that she she's a hard worker. So I'm, I'm optimistic for her campaign. I don't want it to be an acclamation. Nothing personal against her. But mm. um, I, I, I do hope that we get we get lots of people running. And lots of people, like, with a credible chance of winning. Like, I'm not saying outsiders shouldn't yeah. run, but, you know, I want to see, like, you know, four or five good candidates would be ideal for me. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, that's all for us this week. Uh, thank you again for listening. Once again, if you want to join our little community, head to patreon.com slash left turn Canada on Twitter at left turn Canada. We also got an email lefttorncanada at gmail.com. We get some great correspondence from, you know, people all across the country. Uh, it's really great to have different perspectives. Yes, I promise we will talk more about BC and Nova Scotia. That is something we will do more of. Absolutely. We haven't today, but it, it will be uh, top of mind. I know we get a lot of uh, comments on that. And uh, yeah, so long. See you next week. None of us are free